The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Good morning. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Thank you so much for being here. So I heard the uh, the White House has banned the trans activists who went topless at the Pride event the other day. That it was a, they could not allow it because it was a family affair. And as we know, the Pride movement now taken over by the radical transgender activist movement is all about family. Oh, yeah. Starting with five-year-olds. Yes. All about families and and uh, talk about the left uh, against the border family separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all for the family separation if a, the parents don't agree with a child that it is time uh, for mutilation or irreversible hormone therapy. Right. They're all about family. Then there was the White House breaking the flag code. You think yeah. the White House cares about breaking the flag code? Come on, Jack. Come on. You actually think they care about that? Oh, no. We're- I'll determine what flag code is, Jack. <clears throat> Rich, wow. L- Rich Lowry, mm-hmm. against the pride flag. We already have a flag that includes everyone that doesn't require a constant ideological makeover and isn't an eyesore. In June, when one uh, when one can be forgiven for thinking that we live in the United States of LGBTQIA2S+, Oh Glory is at its best supplemented with and sometimes supplanted by the pride flag in all its varieties. The flag, which has become more and more unsightly, is everywhere. It It's increasingly elaborate jumbo of clashing stripes, whether seen in a store, at a ball game, or on a U.S. government building, is a reminder to get with the program, and the program is always changing. Yeah. Team Biden. Ever-changing. Dra- <clears throat> what I say? 
No, I was just adding to it. <clears throat> oh, okay. Uh, team Biden. Never mind me. I, I don't. Uh, team Biden. I'm sorry. What? Team Biden draped what is known to be as the progress pride flag uh-huh. with no fewer than 11 different colors on the White House in between two American flags, uh, giving it, uh, no pun intended, pride of place. Flags are not trifling matters. People rally to them and live and die for them. The firing on the flag at Fort Sumter on the onset of the Civil War, for instance, had a galvanizing effect on the North, on forts and ships, from church spires to flagstaffs, from colleges, hotels, storefronts, private balconies. In public, everywhere, the old flag was flung out. Historian George Preble writes on the passage that could almost uh, as accurately describe the unavoidable June displays of the pride flag. Whereas the power of the Star-Spangled Banner in its extraordinary history is a relatively simple design. It's easily understood symbolism, and it's called to unify all Americans, not to mention the sacrifices made to defend it. The pride flag is the opposite. It's always being refashioned. The version displayed at the White House dates all the way back to 2018. Uh. It's an aesthetic disaster. And its banner concerned with the recognition of splinter groups. If you wanted to create a visual representation of intersectionality, the latest uh, of the uh, pride flags would be it. The old quaint rainbow flag had the virtue of being simpler than its subsequent renditions and of representing broad categories of things, life, sunlight, etc., rather than specific groups of people. The flag started as eight stripes and got dropped to six for pragmatic reasons before additional stripes started getting layered in. As it happens, there are now dozens of separate flags out there for every gender identity and sexual orientation, pansexual, non-binary, gender fluid, asexual, you name it. How could they be left out? First, the city of Philadelphia added black and brown stripes to the top of the flag in 2017 to recognize people of color. The next year, the designer took the black and brown stripes along with the light blue, pink, and white stripes incorporated from the transgender flag and put them in a horizontal chevron to make the progress pride flag. Yet another update added a a yellow triangle with a purple uh, circle from the intersex flag. The resulting banner has all the visual appeal of a TV test pattern. It's hard to see any principle by which other groups should be excluded. By the time it's all said and done, the thing could look like a Sherwin-Williams fan deck if it already doesn't. Mm. Like the LGBTQ cause generally, the flag has become increasingly obsessed with identity politics. There's always another letter or another stripe. Mm. But what better representation of a movement that has gone down the rabbit hole such, uh, with such bizarre causes as insisting that males compete in women's sports and minors get life-altering, quote, gender-affirming care, end of quote, mm. that other advanced nations are turning away from as a terrible mistake. Uh, yes, yet it flies everywhere as though it were a quasi-national flag with universal popular assent. Even U.S. government buildings here at home and the U.S. embassies abroad are bedecked with the flag. If Republicans ever get unified 
control of the government, they should ban the practice. The government should not be promoting boutique causes. We already have a flag that includes everyone, and it doesn't require constant ideological makeovers, and that isn't an eyesore. The Stars and Stripes should be sufficient for this and every other month. Great, great, great Great points. And uh, also, how dare you? Because remember, uh, if uh, you fly a flag in front of your house, well, then that's uh, you're signaling that you're a conservative. That's where the left is today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember what they were saying last year and year before. F the fourth. Oh, yeah. On Independence Day. This is who they are. Well, I was amazed that the that the, the the flag code that probably the left believes that the flag code was violated because the two U.S. flags were up near the pride flag. Yeah, right. That's their violation. That would be their violation, right? Yeah. But of course, uh, Mr. Lowry is right in every way here, and it's ridiculous over and over again. But you know, the movement is becoming so bad. Now that you have liberals, you have people that were part of the group now saying, we don't mm-hmm. want to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, as we as we said, we, that had the agreement, I can't remember the gentleman who was one of the uh, 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 leading, uh, I guess, leading activists, gay, gay activists mm-hmm. for gay marriage. Yeah. Has to be. He has to be uh, probably in his seventies. I, I was, I was thinking probably around there in his seventies, and talked about how he fought for gay rights. Right, and now he's completely against pride. Completely right. against what it has become. What and, it's become, and, right. and actually said what we said. Mm. The, well, something I've been saying for the last thirty years: mm. the pride, the pride uh, mindset to begin with is bogus. Mm-hmm. It's always been bogus. I don't care whether it's black pride, white pride, gay pride transgender pride it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. and he even said exactly what we have said pride is about behavior pride's about behavior i mean if he goes i don't even know what it means anymore because what do you what do you mean you're pride to be you're proud and you know he's his his argument is i'm gay this is how i was born why am i celebrating it Mm -hmm. how can i be prideful of something that i am was his argument Mm -hmm. it's always been my argument Mm -hmm. And I've said it huh, from the beginning of being a talk show host. When it, when that was viewed because it was more, you don't really hear black pride as much anymore. What you hear is mm. get you. What you hear is pride, which encompasses sexuality. Mm-hmm. You don't hear it anymore. But I'd stated it way back then because it was out when I became a talk show host. Yeah, but not as as uh, as um, you didn't see it as often as you did black pride. I said all are dumb concepts. Stupid, stupid concepts, but we live in a nation that's pretty stupid mm-hmm. for a significant number of people. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's that's where we are today. But now the pride movement has been taken over by the radical transgender activist movement. It's no longer about being gay. It's about mutilation of children. And men defining what women are and playing sports against women. 
No, they're they're abolishing Title Nine. Yep, and women's rights more and more okay. every day, and that's part of the entire. Uh, agenda at work here and i think why they're turning so many on the left off look we didn't know how it, it's hard to predict how many will rally against the mob but you're seeing more people stand up against the angry mob on the issues you see the polling the american people clearly are not on their side well you know the whole thing is what what uh what the White House, because they've now banned that transgender activist mm-hmm. because that has no place. How dare you? Then you don't even know what the hell you're promoting. Right. You don't even know what you don't even know what the pride movement has become. How dare you're you? You're completely blind. Exactly. That's exactly what you saw from that trans activist is exactly what the pride movement is today I was, in twenty twenty three. I was waiting for a comment to say we welcome everybody. Right. And we and we're not ashamed of, of her behavior. I was waiting for that. How dare yeah, you? Right. I'm waiting also for the left to say, and maybe it's already happened and I didn't see it. See? He's too old to be president. He doesn't understand. Remember, oh, he I know. didn't say. I, I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the blowback yeah, here. Right. Well, you did see the cheek that that the uh, the and I, I don't know, was that was that it was was that person is that a trans woman or I don't just know. a trans activist so i don't know well but the 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 so i couldn't figure out i mean they never Mm. said that the person who took the top off was a trans woman or a biological Mm. woman who was Mm -hmm. a you know a a trans activist Mm -hmm. uh but uh i did see that the trans activist did double down on it and saying the whole concept is about freeing the nipple Mm -hmm. so then i went right back to the seinfeld episode (laughs) (laughs) in my head yeah that's the thing when you sit there and you say well, I think that that's sort of oh Seinfeld, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you know, look, uh, the left is already they don't the far left doesn't have any use for this president, and a lot of that is on him. How many genders are there? What do he say? Three, three. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Three, three. Nobody, nobody. That was, was back in that was back in twenty twenty. Isn't it great though? Because. No liberal will ask him any question because right. they're afraid of what he'll right. say. Exactly. So they don't even they don't even want to know. Yeah. It's like, okay, he sort of is with us, and so we don't know whether he has any clue as to whether he's actually with, but yeah. he's with us and he's smiling. But don't ask him any questions. Yeah. Don't ask him any type of pride questions. Don't ask him how many genders there are because he's going right. to give you the wrong answer. Right. Because the right answer is as many as you want. Mm-hmm. And I do love the, over the last couple of weeks, though, how now in in a couple of arguments and blogs and everything else, well, gender isn't sex. No, no, no. You you can't change again. No, 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 no. That was your argument. No, 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 no. Five or six years ago, right. when, when it well about ten years ago, and now that it's become biological fe- males or biological females, if they say so, that's why they can play sports. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is there's no <laughs> difference between a a, in fact, we're wondering why the trans movement doesn't want to take the word trans out of it. Right. Why do you have to say trans? And so they can't make the argument that men should play, biological men should play against biological women unless they combine the two together. Right. But at the same time, they want to separate it. It's like we want we want the argument that's, 
that that sits our narrative at a particular moment for a particular argument. There doesn't need to be any consistency because we define whatever we wish to define and however we wish to define any term whenever we wish to define it or redefine it. If you say a trans woman is a woman, then you don't need the T in the LGBTQ. Right. Uh, You don't, know. You don't need the movement. It's a ball of confusion. Yep. We don't write the rules, but we are watching with lots of popcorn. Yes, we are looking for consistency in the rules, though. Yeah. But as we've said before, nothing is everything and everything is nothing. Mm -hmm. There are no defined words. We define what we wish to define at the moment, and we will the left will redefine words 180 degrees different than what they actually are. And right. we've seen it. And if you say something that's violence, if you say nothing, that's right. violence. Right. We're gonna we're gonna come after you one way or the other. We're gonna cover it because basically whatever we think is correct and you're wrong. Yeah, I'm so glad that the head of the publisher from the Washington Post is leaving. Yeah, deal with that one for compromise. Yeah. The <laughs> other side believes. No, my argument is whatever I say is correct, and if you're silent or if you speak, mm-hmm. well, then you need to be punished. I also love the admission in that action that the Washington Post does anything but bring people together. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on speed and space management. Due to safety concerns, many motor carriers have policies that limit or prohibit the use of cruise control. If your motor carrier does allow you to use cruise control, you should only use it in good driving conditions, during daylight hours, and on roads that have light traffic, few curves or hills, and a consistent speed limit. Never use cruise control when operating in adverse driving conditions, including wet, icy, or slippery roads during rush hour in heavy traffic or on congested highways, at night, or when you're tired or fatigued. During all of these driving scenarios, you want to be controlling and adjusting your speed as you drive instead of having to suddenly brake if you encounter an obstacle. In the case of a slippery road surface, you want to be able to slow your vehicle by not accelerating instead of using the brakes whenever possible. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, there's there's always ebbs and flows in society and especially with young people. And I, I saw these two stories came out yesterday. One, a group of high school students' visceral reaction to an LGBT pride video shown in math class went viral this week from California. Hmm. A student uh, at what's been identified as Edison High School in Huntington Beach, California, filmed classmates loudly groaning and protests as their teacher plays a Pride Month video during class. The students moan, stop and turn it off. One student shouts, why are you showing this to kids? The teacher scolds the students to be quiet and warns them they will have to watch it. In Saturday school, if they continue to make noise, hey, I'll warn you guys now, if you're going to be inappropriate, I will have supervision down and give you all Saturday school. Uh, so, uh, So knock it off, the unnamed teacher said. The clip went viral after a parent at the school seems to have shared it on uh, on social uh, media. Then you had this other story. Students at a Massachusetts Pride event destroyed decorations, chanted, USA are my pronouns. Massachusetts, wow. Boston area school, Massachusetts, California school. There's always a blowback from, from kids. I think a lot of kids will look at the generation you know, uh, before them mm-hmm. and say, we're not going to be brainwashed. Right. We practice autonomy. We treat people as individuals. We'll talk more about this coming up. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Oh, he just said that. Uh, welcome and good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want. And I like that when we get that now. Mm. <laughs> hey, guys, I listen when and where I want. Oh, okay, you're listening to our podcast. Okay, that's Now, cool. part of our audience, and they know who they are, listen when we want. Which is right now? It's whenever we want and when <laughs> we say so. Okay. And they know it. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, so talking about those uh, two stories that I read, the school in, uh, outside of Boston, mm-hmm. uh, Boston area middle school. Yeah. Uh, this was students at a Boston area middle school were accused of homophobia and intolerance by education officials after they tore down rainbow decorations and chanted that USA was their pronoun mm. during displays uh, uh, during displays of intolerance and homophobia. Students at Marshall Simmons Middle School in Burlington were invited to wear rainbow-colored clothing on June 2nd in celebration of Pride Month. Uh, on the same day, there was a counter-demonstration in response to what should have been a day of celebration. Students wore red, white, and blue clothing, chanted, My pronouns are USA, and destroyed some rainbow decorations at the school. So that was the story. The other one was a California school, high school, uh, and the students' visceral reaction to an LGBT uh, Q Pride video shown in math class. The student at what's been identified at Edison High School in Huntington Beach, California, 
film classmates loudly groan in protest as our teacher plays a Pride Month video during class. Students stop. Students moan, "Stop!" and turn it off. One student shouts, "Why are we? Sh- why are you showing this to kids?" The teacher then scolds the students to be quiet, warns them they will have to watch it in a Saturday school. Wow, that's like the Breakfast Club. If we never had detention on Saturday ever, no, never, no. But I just, but I found that interesting. Oh, we're going back to the eighties again. Uh, but they'd have to. I was watch- at school in the eighties. We didn't have it then. <laughs> I went to schools before the 80s, and we didn't have it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> watch it in the 1870s. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, what did, the, did you, if you went to school on Saturday, did you have to tie your horse and carriage out front? Yep. Uh, hey, I'll warn you guys now. By the way, was that appropriate for the teacher to say, quote, I'll, I'll warn you guys now? Was that gender-appropriate language from the teacher? Mm-hmm. Uh, see, we're, look at all we're learning. Listen, here. you got to go by the yeah. rule book. If if you're going to be appropriate, I'll, I will have supervision down here and give all of you Saturday school. So knock it off. Uh, I, this, by the way, is not unexpected. What what one generation considers radical, the next generation will consider establishment. Yeah. And when yeah. you have, you think about it, and and you go back to the, you go back to the 1960s, and you go back to when rock and roll came around. You know, that was sort of cultural. That was a music thing. But it was also about more expression of sexuality, mm-hmm. which before that you didn't express it publicly the way that it happened. We can look at it now and see that and look at it and say, oh, it was harmless. Right. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Dancing Elvis doing it. Mm-hmm. You look at it and you go, eh, OK, the music good. That he sort of looks stupid doing that. But uh, again, and people would have the opinion based on on uh, on that. But whether that would be an overt uh, overt. An overt mm. form of sexuality, most people now would say, no, not even old folks like me. Um, and, you know, you look at you look at rock and roll and again, people have different views of it. I remember my father. The reason that I grew up, the reason I love prog rock <laughs> mm. is because of my father <laughs> being so scared of rock and roll that he had um, uh, all classical music. We had mm. All classical music records, that's all that was on all day, and John Philip Sousa, marching band stuff, mm. which is why today I hear Stars and Stripes Forever, I get goosebumps. And I know it's because that was pounded into my head as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I love classical music because of that. But then the rock that I, that I love, and I love all forms of, of rock, uh, but to me, the rock and roll growing up, even when I did, because I, I grew, I you know, I was entered my teenage years, in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And and so even during the whole Beatles thing, when the Beatles came out, you know how you hear, like, for example, the Foo Fighters and everybody yeah. say the Beatles. It was the Beatles. It sure. was the Beatles. Mm-hmm. When the Beatles came out, I thought they were very simplistic musically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I yeah. just went, yeah. I want to hold your hand. Come on. You're going nuts about that. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking mm-hmm. as a kid in elementary school. And kids would ask me, and it wasn't because anybody, what do you think about the Beatles? I go, I, don't, I want to hold your hand. Come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And you know when they got when when they got into their drug years, <laughs> no, when, I mean when when near the end, you know, hey Jude and stuff like that. I went, mm-hmm. okay, this is getting this is getting a lot more interesting. And then when they all split on their own, I wasn't that huge of a Lennon, John Lennon fan. I loved I, you and I talked about this. George Harrison was our favorite Beatle afterwards. Uh, Did we discuss that or was it? Yeah, that wasn't me that said that, but yeah. Oh, I, I mean, thought it was you I, who said. That I we, appreciated his guitar work after the Beatles more than 
than okay, I did that, during okay, the Okay, that's a discussion yeah, we had then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He afterwards he was, you know, to me he I liked his stuff the the, the best. My but, favorite was Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I always liked Photograph. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I I don't have a favorite. Well, I mean, I just like when I when I hear it today, I mean, I just yeah. even today I was like not I don't think I ever bought any of their records. Mm-hmm. So even afterwards, just on the radio that I heard it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. to me, rock and roll that that was really a huge, you know, I, I think sexual cultural change in America mm. at that time and then became much more war related, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up. To me, it was never either of those. Right, yeah. To me, it was rock and roll was always about individual freedom. Mm-hmm. I always viewed it that way. It always inspired me as, you know, as an individual. To me, it was about autonomy. You're creating something that that you like for everybody to hear. Yeah. And and I've always, you know, I, I understood the relationship to the, you know, to the hippie movement and all that. But, I mean, and some of the concepts were really good. The distrust of government that came out of there, very, very healthy. But when you look at the fact of how that cultural revolution started, it was really basic stuff. Oh, you, our parents are too square. We want to dance. We want to have fun. And it reminded me of my old friend Parissa when she came from Iran mm-hmm. the, back about 15 years ago. And I had a discussion with her as to why she came over when she was 18. And she said, and, you know, she, uh, she, and, I, and I asked her, do you hate the United States? She goes, no, I love the United States. We all do. She goes, we know what's going on. We knew what was going on. We, we've got computers. They can't hide what's going on in the United States. And what really got her was what would get a normal 18-year-old. I want to be able to dance. For her, it was like, I want to be able to swim with boys. And this was just share a pool. You know, right. have a party with boys and swim in a pool that they couldn't do. Mm-hmm. But all those little things that that happen when you're young that turn into, okay, um, these are the things I want to do as an individual, and I want to be an individual. I want to be autonomous. I want to be able to do the things without somebody telling me to do it, whether it's a government or your parents, really is the basis, when you think about it, of many of our laws and our Constitution. Whereas you get to be yeah. an adult. Now, right. You evolve to different things that you believe are important, uh, free speech, Second Amendment, freedom of religion, all that stuff. But it's all the the basic stuff. But you had kids that felt that the culture was oppressing them. The culture was making them conform in another way. I don't know of another generation than this generation that has been not subtly told to conform But you must believe something that is completely untrue, that is biologically untrue. You must be forced not just to tolerate it or accept it, but to celebrate it with us. And if you don't celebrate it with us, we are going to destroy your life. We're going to punish you. That, to me, is something we haven't seen in this country culturally. Yeah, not, and, not to this, and I and I think the natural I think it's part reaction, of the backlash, and I, that's what I believe it is. I believe you're going to see a natural backlash from the generations of younger kids observing this, saying well, that's part of the establishment. I don't buy into that crap. Well, it's it is resisting authority as as adolescents will always do, mm-hmm. and I think it's also uh, quite possibly the reason why the far left and the agenda 
dictates that you must start it at the age of five. Yes. There isn't that resistance of authority. There's the acceptance, in fact, reliance on authority for everything in life. And if you grab them then, then there won't be that resistance at, because I can tell you right now, I mean, I see a a real independence streak in my grandchildren uh, that is indicative of, first of all, the attitude toward authority. But they also respect authority that respects them as individuals and their autonomy. So they don't have a problem with that. But when you're trying to force feed them something and you try and say, you must accept this, you're the authority saying that, and they're adolescents, Mm -hmm. and that naturally is going to be oil and water. That naturally isn't going to fly. You know, um, and I think the left thought that they were going to, and many on the left thought that they were going to get that wide acceptance from the next generation, and they're not getting it. And when you don't get it, what do you do? Well, we need to start teaching earlier. Yep. Indoctrination needs to start at five. Right. And and if it doesn't start at five, what we need to do is what the Holy Thomas thing did, which now you see mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. these women Ivy League uh, uh, swimmers coming out and saying, basically, we were we it was implied to us we will destroy your life, right. we'll destroy your scholarship, we'll destroy your we'll destroy your ability to work in the future. You either get aboard or you don't. But that's what you have to do at an older age in order to coerce people to buy into your BS. Mm-hmm. And you're not even BSing anymore because you know you can't BS them, so you intimidate them, will destroy your life. Well, that really hasn't happened. This this has never happened in the country. I expect that the backlash of younger people and the next generation will even be greater than yeah. than we might expect because this oppression to believe what everybody knows is BS. A biological man can't be a biological woman, and a biological man should not be competing against a biological woman in sports. We all know yeah, that. There, and, there is the there is the um, generational gap, and then there's also a, a massive reality gap. And when you look at that, I mean, imagine had uh, M. Night Shyamalan written the movie The Village where they decide where the kids are adolescents and then they all move to a village, right? And they're like, we're going to do what? Yeah, we're going to live like the old times. We're going to, I'm sorry. Um, No. That's why there was no village too. Right. (laughs) Well, because the idea is that if you, and, and indoctrination, the reason that the left needs that indoctrination to start much earlier uh, is because if you start, from the very beginning, the very early days of them learning, and you teach them that that grass is the color blue, it is not green, that becomes their reality. That that goes beyond indoctrination, but it, it's, it's a lot like the village. If they're born into it, it is their reality. Right, and they, and they viewed, the adults viewed their lies as acceptable yes 
and justified. And 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 justified. Right. And then, you know, when Ron Howard's daughter finds out it's not true, you see right. the terror yeah. in it that she still has and the confusion, right. the complete confusion that she has. And then the elders realize this can't go on forever. Right. Eventually, you know, for we did this, but it can't continue. The there, You cannot continue something like that. Right. That's and a great point. That's a great analogy using the village. It's it really because is. it is it it is that form of in, indoctrination in this case. Yeah, you know the parents coming together and deciding that's what they're going to do. But and but and it was, still, it is, it is the idea is that you have to in order for that to be their reality, it has to be that reality from the beginning. And remember, the fear was the monsters, right? The monsters that will kill you, right? That's how you kept everybody in line. Exactly. That was the brainwashing, right? Or in this case, in today's world, the conservatives. They're the monsters. <laughs> no, no, it's a great they point. Are, they yeah. are the color red. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, get M. Night Shyamalan yeah, get on the on phone. The, get him on the phone. <laughs> 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Just love that village analogy. I just love, I well, love it I mean, because if you t- because that movie is about brainwashing kids. It's, it's about, about indoctrination yeah. from the beginning, and the only way to thoroughly do that is to make sure that it happens from birth, from a right. very, very early age at the very least, to the extent in the movie that they were not prepared. In fact, they were uh, basically crippled. They could never go into the real world. Right. Think about this. They weren't prepared. Uh, they were not prepared at all had zero skills to go into the real world, and that group of adults made sure of that. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Well, what will the climate be like in 10 years? I have to tell you, we've gone through a couple of days in Texas where nobody's sure what the weather is going to be in 10 minutes. Yeah, no, it's weird. Man, I mean, this whatever whatever this weather phenomena is, mm-hmm. it is just, it is unique. I have had three days in a row, now, uh, not a lot of hail. Mm-hmm. Now, people right in my neighborhood got killed, mm-hmm. but it missed our street. Mm-hmm. You know, the real bad baseball size hail mm-hmm. but even yesterday i got a little bit but i went out yesterday and it's like okay not so i checked everything no rain nothing for like five hours five or six hours mm-hmm. like this is going to be great mm-hmm. so i go out and i had to get the lawn cut it's been raining so much going away for a couple of days you know to see my dad and it's like i want to cut the lawn yeah my lawn is three quarters cut started raining right in the middle i went can't be raining i just checked an hour ago mm-hmm. there are no rain clouds it's not going to hit Boy, those look like rain clouds. All yep. of a sudden, it's pouring. <laughs> I'm running back into the garage. I'm like, oh, no. And uh, so uh, hopefully I can finish it today. And then when I went to sleep before I took my nap last night, we were supposed to be major rain all overnight. Nothing. Yeah, right. Nothing. And, and then it was supposed to be this morning. Now they have it back to late tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, and they're telling me what the climate is going to be in 50 years yeah, or right. 20 years yeah. or even mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. 10 years. And uh, I, I don't think anybody's to blame for it. I, I'm not critical because I know how, you know, meteorology works and I know how 
things can change so quickly. Mm-hmm. But it this is just one of those times where I wouldn't want to be a weather person because you've got to be getting blasted constantly. Mm-hmm. You said it's going to rain in an hour. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now it looks like. Uh, what is it? Now, has it changed since now I it looks checked like, yeah. 20 minutes ago? Yeah. Yeah. 100% chance of rain right now. <laughs> Look outside. No. Um, they had taken out the, the chance of rain. They'd lowered it greatly uh, for here in a couple of hours, but now they put it back in uh, for uh, – it's only it's only a slight chance, relatively speaking, but they had lowered it before. Yeah. Just the way it goes, man. If you don't, if you don't like the forecast, <laughs> wait five minutes. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just like it's like what? So hopefully mm-hmm. I'll be able to finish the lawn, mm-hmm. finish the lawn today. Uh, when we uh, talk about and we played clips earlier of the 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 GOP Senate going after the FBI uh, deputy guy. We call him deputy guy. <laughs> the the uh, assistant I, deputy dude. If if you missed it earlier in the show, I was yeah. like the assistant deputy, uh, uh, and Eric goes director. I go mm-hmm. guy, whatever. Yeah. So we've just had fun with it. Mm-hmm. And and you know they were they talked about the weaponization of government, but what do you actually do? I mean, that's one. Of, and I read a column New York Post had when saying elections aren't going to change this. And so yeah. and so, the, yeah. did you read that editorial, which yeah. was like elections aren't going to change it? Right. Which right. then, okay, are we hinting that only violence can change what's going well, on? Mm. You know. And so you see that. You know, and that was the debate going on from either side. You know, is it going to be because if you have one of the fears that you have uh, when you have a two tier level of justice system and have it for a significant period of time is a complete complete lack of trust it's almost as if you're a it's it's like the the entire thing that the left doesn't understand about when they say we shouldn't have an electoral college Mm -hmm. you know that everything should be a popular vote well no the reason you have the electoral college is because and the reason you have the senate is because vermont needs to feel that they have some representation in an election and some representation in the government. If they don't, there's no need to be there. Right. That's how you get revolution. You mm-hmm. get our revolution was about what? Taxation without representation. That's how we came here. Mm-hmm. We don't get to decide anything. And so that's why we're a republic and not and why we're not a democracy. Why popular vote, you know, doesn't matter. And so when you have or why the excuse me, why the popular vote is not the preferred system of government in the United States. Mm-hmm. It was a it was done in a calculated way that you can only keep a country together if everybody feels they are represented somehow. Right. So you have the Senate. Yeah, okay, the population is represented in the House. The states are represented, the geographical areas of the states, with the, uh, the, the, the Senate. Well, the left wants to get rid of all of that. Well, the reason that that happened is so you wouldn't have another civil war. And that was the founding fathers learning from the fact that we're in, we just came out of a civil war and we won. And so in order to keep this loosely, you know, held country together of the 13 states, we need to do things differently than England did. That was part of the philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. And and but but you and so that's why when you have a two tier system of government, you have one side one political side say, my God, the government's coming after us. We can't stop them. And it started with you. If you think about it, I mean, how many years 
When was uh, the Lois Lerner thing with the IRS? That you know, was two, seven, seven two thousand. No, it was uh, it was during Obama. So that was yeah. yeah was it twenty? Was his? It was his first term, wasn't it? Because it was yeah. Because they were going after the um, Tea Party. Yeah, they were going after the Tea Party. So, so that would have been two thousand twelve, maybe. Uh, okay, I'm I'm going through the. Uh, uh, see, 2006, she was appointed director of exempt organizations. Right. 2013. Okay. So we're talking nine years where you have the Republicans and those that are conservative say the government has been weaponized against them. Mm-hmm. It's nine years. It's almost, we're, you know, we're, excuse me, it's 2013? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. So a decade. So it's been a continuing thing. It's not just one off and that's the problem is when you have that then people say why am i a part of this democracy if in essence the culture of the federal government is that it doesn't matter how i vote and this Mm. is where the whole thing came from doesn't matter if i vote the government is still against me so what do you do about the weaponization of government what can the republicans do well really interesting article uh, rcp has uh, where they got an exclusive with uh, DeSantis. Yeah. DeSantis's plan to wage war on the weaponized Department of Justice, that he says you have to do more than, because we had talked about this earlier, about Trump. Why did Trump reappoint Comey? He shouldn't have done that. Right. He kept the culture the same in the FBI. Yep. Now, again, it was early on. I mean, we, were, we aren't where we were now. But when you look at that point, you say, hmm, probably not the best, probably not the best move. And it says, uh, this is from RCP that got the exclusive from DeSantis. Uh, DeSantis has been working for months on plans to tear down and rebuild both the Department of Justice and the FBI, consulting with experts and members of Congress to develop a day one strategy to end what conservatives see as a weaponization of the justice system. The governor has privately told advisors he will hire and fire plenty of federal personnel, reorganize entire agencies, and execute a disciplined and relentless strategy to restore the Justice Department to a mission more in line with what the Founding Fathers envisioned. But as ambitious plans go beyond bureaucratic restructuring, he wants to physically remove large portions of the Department of Justice from the, from the District of Columbia, including the FBI headquarters. Real Clear Politics is first to report. We are not going to let all this power accumulate in Washington, D.C. We're going to break up these agencies, DeSantis said during a private strategy session over the weekend, excerpts of which were obtained exclusively by RCP. He vowed that uh, uh, he vowed in that call to order some of the problematic components of the Department of Justice uprooted, reorganized and then promptly shipped to other parts of the country. This fits with one of the central themes of the DeSantis campaign, namely that he'd be an energetic executive, a president with focus and attention to detail necessary to make the most of his Article II powers. On the stump, the governor regularly wins applause from primary voters promising not just to wage war on the uh, on the so-called deep state, but to end it. And that would be the difference for DeSantis if he went in and said, look, here's my plan. 
here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Here's what I can do about not just complain about it and not just do executive orders, but actually change it. Yeah. Use my powers right. of the authority that I have of the executive branch to do it. The goal, according to senior outside advisors, ought to be returning the Department of Justice and the FBI to a more limited pre-9-11 mission. Republicans were outraged last Friday when former President Trump was indicted for mishandling classified documents. DeSantis has condemned that move, and his campaign scheduled the Saturday conference call uh, uh, not knowing, he told advisors, that would be news last that, that news last night. But the governor is also intimately familiar with conservative gripes about political bias inside President Biden's Department of Justice. They have been central through the campaign. We've seen throughout this country that the Department of Justice and FBI are controlled by one faction of our society, DeSantis said on the call, pointing to how those agencies are going after pro-life activists, wrongfully investigating parents at school board meetings Mm. who are concerned about things like critical race theory and forcing kids to wear masks and the liberal radical transgender activist movement and colluding with tech companies to censor information as they did with the 2020 election. He has assembled a brain trust of academics, members of Congress, and former administration officials to draw up step-by-step blueprints for tearing the Department of Justice and FBI down to the studs for a rebuild. He consults regularly with Representatives Tom Massey of Kentucky and Chip Roy of Texas, conservatives always at war with the government bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm laughing because every time I go to YouTube, there's Chip Roy, and you know he's yeah. he's just he's he's very passionate and loud, always on fire. <laughs> yes, always yeah. on fire. Yeah. Uh, Steve Bradbury of the Heritage Foundation and Victor Davis Hanson of the Hoover Institution have also joined the working group to offer technical expertise and a historical perspective. You know, I wouldn't be mad if he wants to add a liberal to add Dershowitz and uh, and Turley to that. Yeah, right. Just because sure. at the point you can say, I've got Democrats who are sick of what's going on, right. too. Mm-hmm. There have been regular conference calls detailed, and that's to make it more popular politically. Yeah, you, you sure. Add them. Right. Uh, there have been uh, regular conference calls, detailed memos, and at least one policy retreat in Tallahassee earlier this year. The work is ongoing because their enemy, the so-called deep state, is vast. Their aim is nothing short of crippling it once and for all. Hmm. The key feature of the emerging plan, move fast, don't wait for Congress. So there you go. Yeah. Which you said, yeah. you know, I've got I've got Article 2 powers of what I can do. We're going to use them like they haven't been used, you know, by other presidents, mm-hmm. but are perfectly legal to do so. Sure. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, so and and so it's a pretty long article. I didn't read the whole thing, but just but it's basically he's got a, you know, the whole point, a step by step plan, not say you're going to do it or just appoint certain people, but basically use your powers to say we're going to change it to what they're supposed to be and not what they become. Because how else do you get rid of the rot? How else do you get rid? Well, you know, that's interesting. you You can't do it by just putting in. One FBI director who may agree 70% with your philosophy. Um, years ago, I, I mentioned this article that I read about how many activists were put in different levels of different positions within government during the Obama year. 
And we're not talking appointees. These are hires. Mm -hmm. And you, if, and it was, I mean, it was a massive group. I don't remember the number. I'm not going to even attempt it, but it was a massive amount of people. And what they were, the point they were making in this article was that it would take you forever to undo that. The idea is that you put them there. And then I thought, okay, but this is where we began. We said, look, it's not about a massive conspiracy. It's about the same mindset. Culture. So when you create that culture, like the lowest learner thing and, and all of this, then you have to you have to restructure this the the system to make sure that that culture cannot permeate that that culture cannot uh, breed more corruption. That's what you have to do. And so you're not going to do it politically. But there has to be a plan to get rid of the rot. And it has to be a thorough plan. Start to finish. 86690-RED-EYE. Over the last few months, grocery store food price inflations continued to grow, but at a very slow pace. And in the newest Consumer Price Index report covering May... We saw a continued slowing of that growth in food prices. USDA economist Megan Schweitzer says prices grew last month by only one-tenth of one percent, which is about as close to zero inflation as you can get. Most items still went up in price last month. Items like beef, fresh fruits, and vegetables, but some things saw price declines. Big good news story, the price of eggs. For eggs, we saw a large drop in price this month. Eggs fell 13.8 percent, and so we've seen four months in a row of, of price declines. For eggs. And in fact, eggs are actually down year over year now. So eggs are down 0.4% from May of last year. Partly because we haven't seen any outbreaks of bird flu in commercial egg laying flocks since last December. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This report is made possible by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Diesel and Sitco Lubricants. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Looking at some of the inflation numbers. I mean, the initial number looks good, down to 4% year-to-year, uh, down from 4.9%. The bad part is the uh, the Fed's preferred inflation measure, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, yeah. which means what you actually spend money on. Right. Uh, 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 excluding food and energy was 4.7%. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a year, uh, uh, I guess, uh, year to year. And then core prices and especially services still up 6.6%. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, it's interesting when you look at it, you, you do the breakdown. Uh, even CNN had the the the, uh, the headline, grocery prices are rising in America again. And here's what's getting more expensive. When CNN had that headline, I thought to myself, okay, you can't ignore what's going on. We've talked about it. Um, you said it often. You said, look, it's it's about the prices. The prices keep going up. They try and say, well, inflation is slowing down. 
that makes it sound like prices are coming down, and they're not. No. Eggs did, but eggs was a unique. Yeah, there were a few things where prices did come down. But but the the agriculture agriculture report, Mm -hmm. which comes from the Biden administration, and they said, because there's been no bird flu. Right. You know, the bird flu is what really killed those prices last year. What they had to remedy, you know, um, they actually got done. Right. And and that was something that uh, wasn't and the rise in the cost of eggs was not uh, in direct proportion to what where inflation was at with other items on the grocery. It list. was way over. It right, was because, way, right, way, way, way because over. of the bird flu. Yep. Yeah. And so when you look at it, though, again, prices are still on the rise. They're going up again for many of those items. And the question is, where's the relief? You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Now, uh, it, it seems like the whoever the, you know you, you say the experts. I'm like, who's actually an expert yeah. on the economy? Because all of their predictions are almost always wrong, all of the time, and always in one direction. Yeah. Um, so there might be a bit of propaganda in economic forecasts out maybe, there. I maybe. know that may be a radical thing to say, but mm. uh, and, but it seems like they're what they're saying is the Fed next week is not going to increase rates. Yeah, leave it the same, and it said, and I, Wall Street Journal is sort of saying, well, they may do it now, but they're going to raise them again by the end of the year. When you see that mm. with things that people most buy, when when you have core prices still at six point six, you still got a problem. Yeah, and when you have Remember, they want to get it beneath two. So even though overall inflation's at four, they want it beneath two. And uh, the core inflation is still up there, and the personal consumption is still up there. Yeah. What people, especially services. And yeah, core CPI year over year uh, was uh, right on the median forecast, 5.3%. And. Five point three, mm-hmm. and when you look at that, um, you know that's the oh, oh okay core prices, and then services is up six point six per year. Okay, yeah, I see. I I, I read. Yeah. That. I said yeah. I thought they combined core prices and especially services. Right, their core prices and especially services, and then they have parentheses up six point six. So services are up. That has to be labor cost, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's. A, that's a lower rate than the month before at 5.5, but 5.3 is still a very healthy core CPI rate year over year. And I think, you know, when you look at um, the uh, the core CPI uh, month over month over month at 0.4, look, it gets back to what we said. Uh, prices are still on the rise. People are waiting for and have been waiting for prices to drop, and you're not going to see that. You don't see that when they hit the target of 2% inflation. I mean, it's that's still prices going up. It's just at a lower rate. You don't notice it like we've noticed it over the last couple of years. But this is compounded over where we were May of last year. And so you look at the prices then, and again, those 
those prices still going up, uh, with the exception of eggs. And, and eggs was about the bird flu. Uh, now that that is corrected, and there, I think there are a couple of other things where prices have come down. But overall, you're seeing that basket, that, that grocery basket, still on the rise. When CNN makes note of it, and they do a what I thought was a, a, a pretty fair breakdown of grocery prices um, still on the rise when they're actually doing journalism at CNN, that's when you know. Because people right now are going through that. And I'd love to see, I haven't watched for it, but uh, people like Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, who had said that, look, when we get to the summer, by the time we get to the summer, any savings that was there is going to be gone. So we're here. You know, this this paragraph here, I laughed because I went, oh, man. But I probably instead of crying, but as they write here in this Wall Street Journal uh, editorial, the Fed has never attempted to raise rates from such low for long levels while also shrinking its balance sheet to unwind quantitative easing mm-hmm. in the middle of a multi-trillion dollar deficit financed Keynesian fiscal expansion. Mm-hmm. Just reading that sentence, I started yeah. laughing and, and I'm, I'm going to cry if I don't well, laugh. No, I mean, it's filled but, with but, so much. Yes. It, 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 but it lines it out accurately. And then they write, speaking wow. of which, the other new unknown concerns the consequences for the financial system of resumed treasury debt issuance during the Fed's quantitative tightening now that the debt ceiling has been raised. That could cause rates to rise depending on uh, demand. Money tightening produced the financial cracks that appeared in March's bank panic, and more fissures are appearing in commercial real estate. While the Fed may have its uh, an excuse to pause this week, it's still very much on monetary call for the rest of the uh, the the year. And you think about, it, I mean, the stories that we've done this week in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, how many of the the, the buildings there? Same. Uh, sorry, we're just gonna defa- well, we're gonna we're gonna default. Sorry, yeah, yeah. bank. You can have the building, the mall. What was it? Uh, three or four? Mm-hmm, uh, that's mm-hmm. just this week. Yeah, uh, office buildings uh, inside of San Francisco saying we just we just we can't we just can't do it. How is that going to hit? How is that going to hit other cities? And I still and I brought this up. A couple of weeks ago, and I'll have to see if anybody's writing about it. Mm, but mm. when you have places like Texas that, you know, also got hit, I got friends in the commercial real estate business. But the fact is, if you look at it, it's still it's growing tremendously in the Dallas Fort Worth area. We brought you the numbers last week. So even if there was commercial real estate, there still is a demand for mixed use commercial real estate. Where, you know, what is the, what I want to see is what is the vacancy? What was the worst vacancy commercial real estate in Dallas compared to a San Francisco? Yeah. You know, uh, pre COVID, during COVID, post COVID, and what is the growth rate or the, 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 either the growth rate or the negative growth rate of commercial real estate mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. Those are some numbers that I want to see. Because I think it's an uh, I I think it's going to be fascinating to look over the next decade or so, when you have this movement, and when you have these states that have such high budgets, and we always give the example of New York's 
state budget is twice what what Florida's is, even though they have fewer people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. pretty intense there, and you have the 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 billionaires and the people because they have such a progressive tax policy that the billionaires and the millionaires pay so much more of the the taxes that when a few of them move out, you actually get a huge hit to the system. Right. And so those are the things that I would love to see is, you know, what is the projection now over, I don't know if you can project over a 10-year period, but what we found out last week Mm. is that the movement from California and Illinois and New York to these southern states like Texas and Florida hasn't subsided post-COVID. Yeah. Um, or, or, or or from COVID. Right. Yeah. I, that's one of the things that, you know, that is going on that is in part inflation, I think, in, uh, especially in the mm-hmm. Western states, uh, prices were already high. So you get to a point where it really is a threshold for a lot of people. They can't, they just simply can't afford to live there any longer. But then you, it's compounded by the idea of the rise in crime and everything else. And then you also have to look at where the jobs are going. You know, there's this um, kind of this uh, perpetual motion or or chain of events that happens when companies go uh, to states like Texas and Florida because they get tax breaks and the jobs go there. Then the people are looking to move. And when the people are looking to move, they need jobs. They need plentiful jobs. And then as those people move other corporations look at it and say oh now the talent pool is bigger now we can move there and and not have to worry about bringing people in more people in from out of state because we have an existing talent pool already in place as a result of that so that keeps cycling over and over again and that's how you see the growth in those uh low-tax states that are uh pro-law enforcement uh, not that everything is perfect, but they certainly don't have the issues that they have, uh, like the major metro areas out west, like San Francisco. I don't know how you fix San Francisco. You're not; it's not going to be an election where it's kind of like we were talking about before the rot at the FBI. You're not going to fix that through <laughs> elections. You're not going to fix no, it in not. San Francisco through elections nope. because nobody believes for a moment they're going to come in and. And elect a bunch of conservatives, that's not going to happen. And what happens if the liberals come in that, that are, you know, keep in mind, Gavin Newsom uh, was on the city city council there in San Francisco and then became mayor and then, you know, lieutenant governor, now governor, and then he'll be president one, <laughs> one day. <laughs> Some National Review kind of uh, put the wet blanket on that one. It's, it's a good article. But the... The idea, though, of of how that change comes about, it's not going to happen with election. So how does it happen? Well, you're still going to have a liberal base there. Then they have to change at least on a number of issues in order to return San Francisco uh, to a place where people can feel like that they can live and work there safely. Well, I did hear that, you know, because we had covered this, that the liberals said that if you give $5 million in reparations, <laughs> that, that money will drive the, 
that money will drive the economy to success, that that's the one thing Mm -hmm. that Democrats aren't selling is if you give. And and this is what they were doing this on the the Democrats were trying to do this on the federal level. Yeah. If we give fourteen trillion dollars in debt financing money yeah, uh, yeah. to every eligible recipient, the economy will boom right, because course. people will have money to spend. Yeah. Oh God. So yeah, wow. that's it. That will oh, work. That's yeah, that's that work. And fourteen trillion dollars in debt. Right now, uh-huh. see what that not going to affect inflation at all. No, I mean, no, no problem. I mean, so you have when things get crazy, they just get more crazy. Yeah, let's do that. By the way, the question I would ask Gavin Newsom, I would have asked if I was Sean Hannity, look, you guys, you had the state that can't even sell pot, you can't do legal you, pot, right? You, you can't even sell legal pot. You're selling drugs. You can't even be a dealer, a legal dealer. Uh, And this comes from the fact that California's pot tax revenue has fallen for the seventh straight quarter. You know that it has uh, uh, back in uh, the state brought in 180.4 million in cannabis excise taxes in 2012. This quarter, 104.2, down 42%. They're down 32% over the last year. They dropped 18% from the last quarter to the first quarter of 2023. It's crashing. Yeah. And what are they blaming? The taxes. You got The taxes, the taxes, the taxes, the Look, taxes. We tried we, to tell you. The, tried to tell you years ago. Legalize it and tax it. Legalize it and tax You're Begging for them to price it out of the market and put it right back into the black market. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what's going on. Dudes, we hate to tell you, we were right, man. You're right, man. Told you, man. Well, we did. Yep, we I did. Never, I, I, you were the first one. You were the first one that I remember, you know, outside of maybe I said it once, but you were the first one that really promoted, no, just sell it. Don't tax it. If legalize you sell it and tax it, it yeah, legalize you're just, you're, it. Yeah, I mean, you were just so passionate a few and, years back. And, and and tax it like any other product. Right. But now, when the federal government gets in, they're starting at 8%. Their yeah. take, they want to be 8%. And eventually, they will get in. I mean, I don't know when that will be. Mm-hmm. So you're going to add that 8% to whatever your tax is, wherever you live, yeah. if it's legal wherever you live. For people and, that don't know, that's the cut that... The federal government is talking yep. about in order to get, yep. you know, because the Democrats don't want to say, let's legalize it. Right. We don't get a cut of it. Right. They got to get a cut of it. Right. And the cartels are making right. tons of money. Right. And if they are, the Democratic cartel has to make their cut. Exactly. Eight six six ninety red eye Lines open for your calls. Eight six six ninety red eye on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley. I'm Gary McNamara. So here I'm sitting here and I'm like, uh-oh, my cameras just went off. There's a person in my front yard. Yeah. You know, because it differentiates. And I'm like, it's got to be Amazon. It's an Amazon dropping off something. I, and it, it happens to me all the time. I'm going home. I'm like, what's a suspicious car with the engine running and the door is open and whatever? It's like, oh, must be. It's not, you don't worry anymore that it's a burger. It's like, oh, well, no, it's Amazon with an early delivery. And it's always an individual's car. Yeah. And I yes. would think. Yes. You know, I don't know what the protocol is, but how about you get them something? 
you know, Uber has yeah. a sign in the window. I mean, I don't know. Something. Is, because I would think that's dangerous, potentially, for the Amazon driver. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. You're walking I mean, up and somebody doesn't know they're getting the early delivery. Right, right, And right. somebody's on your front porch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you know what's yeah. creepy? is ordering something uh, and getting the 4 to 8 a.m. delivery, right? And yep. then I get home at a little after 5, and then there's a package on the porch. I mean, it's it's weird. I, <laughs> I love it, but it's kind of weird. It's weird, I know. Yeah, yeah. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.